американская фирма Transceptor Technology приступила к производству компьютеров «Персональный спутник». Hello, and welcome to Third Degree Burn, a podcast looking at all things John Byrne. I love little baby ducks, old pickup trucks, slow-moving trains, and rain. I love little country streams, Sleep without dreams, Sunday school in May, and hay. And I love you too. I love leaves in the wind, pictures of my friends. a brand new episode of Third Degree Burn. I am Tim Elliott, and with me, our semi-regular uh, co-guest, or, or almost a regular guest now, uh, Kirk Greenfield. Good morning. And we also have our always regular guest and co-founder, Brian Hughes. Hey, how's it going? I thought we were hosts, not guests. I mean, Kirk is a host at this point. You know, he's a guest host, but still. Did I say? Did I say you were a guest? Yeah, you, you well, called yeah. me a guest. Wow, I'm okay. promoted. That's amazing. <laughs> hey, you well, got Kirk, a, yeah, you, Kirk's, you, Kirk's... You got the shirt. <laughs> yeah, you're you're part of it now. As soon as you get the the actual brand uh, stamped on your back. Um, oh. Yeah, we usually put it below the right shoulder blade, and it's only three inches around. But um, it just takes about, I don't know, six weeks to heal. And somebody will, be like in, uh, somebody will be by next week to install your control chip. So yep, yeah, that's, mm. that's a minor that's a minor procedure. It's all burnt. Your Demonzo yeah, core chip. <laughs> so uh, guess what we're doing today? This is the comic book equivalent of a swimsuit issue. And we're yeah. so excited. <laughs> we are so excited. We're going to go over each of our favorite covers that John Byrne has done over the course of his career. 
Um, we can call it a top five because we'll be each you know giving our 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 five, but we're not probably going to provide them in any particular order because it's very hard to say which one is the favorite. Now, one of the caveats I wanted to kind of throw out there is I think that every one of us is probably going to want to include X-Men 141 and 137's oh. covers as one of their top fives. Yes, and, spoiled it. No! All right, I'm the, down to the top three now. Come on, you okay, got others. Now. you got runners up you can throw in there. There are some amazing... I, see, I, took, those, I took those off my, uh, off my plate, you know, just from the start. I didn't even, even consider those. You know, when I was putting my list together, I, I'd come up with a list of about 12 or so, and I knocked a couple off, and I said, okay, from these, I'm sure we're probably going to have some overlap. And I thought, okay, but I'm good. I think I've got a really, really good list here. And then last night, as we're sitting there watching a movie with my son, someone posted on one of the groups um, a, a, a cover I had never, ever seen before, and it goes back to the Charlton days. And I was just like, you've got to be kidding me because it was so awesome. And uh, I'll have to see if I can find that and provide that. I mean, it's not one that I was just familiar enough with to to sit there and say, you know, to think about it, even going through everything that I went through. And, and I went through, I, I went out to Mike's Amazing World. And I just pulled up John Byrne as a creator on there. And then I told it to find cover credits, and it came up with what was it, eight hundred, and came up with a heck of a lot. Uh, let me see if I can find that, because I thought that was really, really interesting. Find a creator, and you go to John. Yeah, that's what I did after you you had mentioned that. So I kind of I kind of had a lot in my mind already, but I went through here to kind of yeah, and just to look at all of them. And then it gives you credit type as one of the options to search. And I told it just covers. Yep. And then it said basically that there were 785 cover credits found. And okay, so the one that the one that I uh, was sent last night or shown last night on Facebook, you know, of course, uh, this isn't part of my my top top ones, but I wanted to mention it just because I I don't recall ever seeing it before. Was the Many Ghosts of Doctor Graves number 54, and it's a Charlton comic. And you oh, see, see yeah. it looks like a guy with a harpoon underwater, and there is a gigantic thing there in front of him. You just see this giant eye and huge teeth and, and some large creature. I'm assuming it would be something like a squid or something underwater. But uh, And, of course, it's in the, in the that color frame of way Charlton did things back when they were printing everything on that um, cereal box press. So I was like surprised at seeing that, and I'm just bringing it outside because to to let you know that there are so many covers out there. While each of us is going to give a you know our, our our top five, there are so many awesome ones that you can find, and that even at our age, you know, we're still finding something new. Yeah, because you know I don't necessarily own all of everything. I don't own all of these, and uh, so there are new. You're always finding new things, and the thing with all top top lists is. You know, if you ask me next month, it may change. Yeah. Next year, it may change. So it's 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 a revolving uh, list. You know, it's always things are getting bumped off. And when I did my list, I really tried to divorce the story on the inside because there are some issues that have a have great artwork on the inside of a great story, but the cover may be kind of, eh, it's okay. So I try to separate that, and it went just on. 
you know, if I saw this cover on the newsstand, would I want to grab it? Yeah. Well, I don't know if that if I could do that. The emotional content of the the interior is so so tied to the memory of the cover for me. Um, best example I can give you would probably be Fantastic Four fifty seven with the uh, Doc Doom steals the Silver Surfer's power. May have only been the third issue that I ever bought off the spinner rack, but it is so invested that that huge Doom head. Um, that dominates the cover is just I I can't separate the two. That's a Kirby cover. Yeah. But man, I I can't separate them. I'm sorry. And you guys are going to hear the ticky tacky of my keyboard all throughout this because as, as people mention stuff, I'm going to be pulling up those covers to look at them. We're going to go right. ahead and put a link on the the course of the uh, Third Degree Burn webpage in uh, at twotruefreaks.com. So. If you download from there, you'll be able to go to that link, and it's going to point you towards our Facebook group um, where we're going to go ahead and put all the covers that we select. So uh, that way you can look at them as you uh, read along or listen along. Excuse me. Um, but I, I think for 90% of these, most of our listeners are going to know exactly what cover we're talking about. Uh, I think there will be a few of them that are going to go, wait, which one are they talking about? But... Um, for the most part, uh, they won't have any trouble discerning these. And Kirk, since you are the youngest guest in, in you know yeah. podcasting range, uh, do you, we'd like to go ahead and start. Let you start off. Well, okay. As you had mentioned earlier, before we started recording, we were supposed to do the top five, but we figured there'd be a lot of overlap, and I think most of us have gone, you know, gathered ten and had a hard time narrowing it down. So, in no particular order. Just because fairly recently this came to my attention, my first nomination is Alpha Flight number three. This has, uh, I think it's Aurora is the name of the character, Jean, Jean, Jean Marie, on the cover in a black and white maze of bars, moving bars or um, playground bar monkey bars. I'm not sure I'm describing this really well. It's like danger room but, bars is what I always think when okay. I see that, yeah. Um, I think it's a very striking cover. She's in a black and white outfit. The bars are white over a black background. There's virtually no color in the cover, with the exception of the brilliant yellow and orange masthead at the top. And it, I just really like this. I think it's an incredibly um, designed, uh, design-heavy cover. Boy, my words aren't flowing this morning. But I, I really like this one. Yeah, and it's it's a great example of something that John Byrne has been able to do throughout the years that other artists have a very hard time doing, and that is representing three dimensions. Um, yes. You know, reading the Elsewens that we've read lately, of course, you know, we're seeing the pencil pages there, and we can see the grid lines that he does in the background that helps him keep the perspective. Knowing yeah, every... I think that's, that's yeah. what this is. We're seeing the grid lines uh, made substantial. Yeah. Well, Burns always been been excelled at that. If you look at anything, he does a lot of high angles in his panels. He does, uh, especially in his cityscapes. You know, this is a lot of gridding out. You know, so you would think that this would all be done. To, well, today it would be done to be computerized, but he does all by hand. Right. I can't even draw a straight line, and or a circle. Can't do. That's what rulers are for. That's just. Yeah. Well, I, I have trouble even with a ruler. I've got motor skills issues. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, 
But that that's a great one to kick us off with. Uh, it was not on my list, so it was not on my list. Who, uh, Kurt? Who did he ink that himself, or who inked that? Oh, I'm not yeah, certain, but if you hang on, I'll look. Did he ink that himself? Okay. Yeah, pretty much yes. anything on Alpha Flight, uh, he did uh, very early on. He did everything um, as far as art goes. And, I, I mean, in the later uh, issues there towards the end before he went to the Hulk, Bob Wyatchek came in and was inking. But uh, he did everything, as I understand it, from the you know the covers as well. So I yeah, should I had, mention I had... I want to mention in passing, you guys, um, many people use Mike's amazing World of Comics as their source. I happen to turn to the Grand Comic Book database as my source because I find it a little easier to navigate. And so that's where I draw my information from, just a little plug for the source. Cool. Yeah, I think I've been there before until I kind of started using Mike's. Um, Mm -hmm. I think they're both good. Yeah. did I know you recently posted this on Facebook and you Kurt that this you thought this was or this was inspired by a FF cover, correct? Yes, in fact, uh, again, I'm playing my memories. Uh, one of my earliest books from my first collection that I bought that got me into comics was um, a collection of Marvel, including Fantastic Four 17, which is uh-huh. um, individual traps by Doctor Doom and the same moving bar trap was used for uh, Sue Storm. This is a couple of months before she developed her force field uh, powers, but yeah, the same concept. And then that just, it jumped out at me immediately because I was so familiar with that story and that cover. Cool. Yeah, and that, this is one of the cases where the scene that's in the book is actually, you know, scene on the cover is actually in the book. Because that, that, that actually happened to her in the story. And you remember that that um, there's a big half-page spread of her and Sasquatch in that room, and he's smashing the bars all around her. He, yeah, he comes through and smash, kind of sm- walks through him, doesn't he? Yeah. But uh, the well, Brian, you wanna you want me to go with my first one? Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah, you can go next. Okay. Uh, mine. What happened here? Uh, okay. My first one that I'm going to talk about is probably the what I would consider to be one of the most iconic covers ever. And that is uh, from Peter Parker's Spectacular Spider-Man number 101. And like Kirk's, it is just black and white in the, in the color scheme. It's Spider-Man upside down in the black costume over the cityscape and you know the cityscape of course is just buildings but they're all black and white do you know which one i'm talking about yeah that's a that's a secret wars tie-in isn't it no no secret wars is, two? Uh, no no uh huh? it's not a, it's not a tie-in for any of them that just happened to be um the cover they did for that one that month and i mean it's one of those that doesn't tell oh, what's okay. going on in the book but it's it's definitely one of the more iconic spider-man covers ever I, I know because when I started thinking about this, I thought it was tied into the uh, the issues where everything got you know the that uh, building got turned to gold. And I think that's it wasn't got, even that. He's got two covers similar to that one in the black and one in the red and blue. Yeah, and that was when that this, happened. That's what I'm thinking about, not this this cover. But I mean, this cover just like this is one that I always think of. You know, it's like you know what is something that's so inherently burned. And while you don't see all the other tropes of Burn, just the fact of, of how he's using the, the negative space, and Spider-Man himself is the negative space. 
Yeah. Well, this shows a lot of his his grid work that Kirk just covered in his yeah. uh, cut. That he's got all these these skyscrapers uh, kind of gridded out, and all you're seeing really are the the uh, the lights. Yeah, yeah, the windows. Yeah, that's a good pick. It was not on my list. My list may be a little more uh, oddball because I kind of it was you know stuff that just kind of my gut reaction to stuff when I was looking at him. Well, what's yours? Well, I'm going to use my first one is, and we haven't covered it, but we should cover it, uh, Blood of the Demon number 11. And this is, uh, where's my list? Uh, He's the artist, he's the artist, penciler, Daniel Green, I think, is the anchor. This is what I thought I could find. And Alex uh, Blayert, I pronounced that right, is, I think, the colorist. And a lot of this may have to do with the coloring because the coloring's great. It's 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 a it's a it's kind of an overhead shot of the of the demon kind of rising out of. Uh, I'm assuming that's London, or is it? Yeah, that's yeah. what I thought. And with all this uh, kind of uh, mystical fire all around him, and it's, it's again you see how uh, Burn is gridded out the, the the buildings, and he's and he's kind of. Uh, there's a lot of destruction below him, and it's just, it's just, I just thought it was a very dynamic cover, and it shows a lot of power, and, and some of that may, if this is in black and white, I may not have the same reaction, but in color, it's just a beautiful, it's just a beautiful piece of work. Yeah, that is beautiful, and, and you know, it's like, I looked, I, yeah, I, I went through all the demon covers, Blood of the Demon, and I, I was, like, disappointed that I didn't have one from there to pull, and it was sad, because it, I was sitting there thinking of one, and it turned out that one was actually a full page splash, excuse me, splash page, page. that that I really really like. And and if we you know if we ever get down to doing panels and pages, one day it's definitely there's one in there I'm definitely gonna include. Yeah. But, uh, this well, is really nice. I I really I really liked his work on the, you know we covered the the first issue, but I really like his work uh, on Demon. And I've read about half of the run that he did. I need to finish it, but. Well, Kirk, what do you got to follow that up with? Or did you want to Again, make a comment on that one? No, no, I agree. That is very striking, and I like the coloring. Um, my next one, and again, I don't know if I'm sharing all these on screen with you or not, but it's helping me to call them up on my monitor so that I can discuss it. Uh, in no particular order, the Uncanny X-Men 114. Now, this is The Day the X-Men Died, and it's a very somber cover. Oh, yeah. It's basically a, a picture of, uh, as far as we know, or as far as they know, the surviving X-Men, Professor X in his chair, the Beast, and Phoenix walking down a darkened hallway, and the ghostly image of the rest of the team, presumed to have been killed in Magneto's base under the volcano, are translucent behind them. I really like this cover. It, it's so moody, so spooky, and it evokes um, the situation so clearly. And, you know, unfortunately, I didn't start reading X-Men until later. Uh, 132 is when I, when I picked them up. And so I didn't get the, the in-the-moment hardness of the situation. You know, later on when I... You know, went back and read all these. You know, already I'd already read 138, which gave the history of the X-Men, and so I understood what had happened. But it was lessened by the fact that they were already back together. I don't know if, if you know if that relates. You know, 
how that kind yeah. of diffused the uh, emotional impact of this. Uh, even though back then you knew. Um, who inked this cover, though? Just a moment, I'll check. Yeah. Give me a second to flashback. Yeah. Terry Austin. Terry Austin inked okay. yeah. Yeah, it's just the the cover I'm looking at, it, the, it's got a little spine roll there, so it was hard to tell what it said. And it, it doesn't well, I, look I, like Terry Austin's typical inks on that. You know, the, the, the ghostly silhouettes that we see there, it almost looks like uh, on Storm... Nightcrawler and Wolverine that Dave Cockrum took a pass at him. It does look a little, you know, Cockrum's ink was, was his work was always a little thicker. His inking was a little heavier, and that's what this looks like, but maybe that's because it, uh, to Kirk's point, it's a little more somber, and it is a more, it gives a little more moody atmosphere. Yeah. And I can, to your point, Brian, it, it must be like, if you watch Star Trek 3, and then watch Star Trek 2, because... <laughs> Three, yes. you know, Kirk's already yes. Spock's already back. Then you watch it; he dies. You kind of lose a little bit of that impact. So, yes. reading these, like you know, you know, like most collectors, I guess you don't. If you weren't there at the moment to read them, which I wasn't, I was picking up as I could. So I was reading kind of all around, and you never got, you know, and then you don't ever sit down and read them straight through to get a little more of a, uh, you know, Slow. what it was like to the read them, way. you know, yeah. right, right. It's one. funny because you mentioned that you started with X-Men 132, mm-hmm. and I I had a similar situation in that I joined probably about a year later and then bought a publication or two called the X-Men Companion that freely discussed everything that had come before. <coughs> Excuse me. And, uh, you know, gave away plot points and developments and had excerpt panels. And so it wasn't a big surprise to me to hear the flow but it certainly gave me um, a groundwork, a railroad track that I understood where the story was flowing and, and what issues I had to get to piece in the, the jigsaw puzzle. Uh, I don't know how else to describe it, but it was like a railroad track, a, a framework for me. So, uh, you know, I, I agree. I think your example, Tim, of, you know, Star Trek II, Star Trek Three is spot on. That is yeah. absolutely accurate. A good analogy. Thank you. That all comes back to Star Trek. <laughs> all right, Brian, what is your second, not oh. necessarily number two, but your second? You know, and, and as I'm sitting here looking at my my picks, I realize that, you know, when I'm, I'm very uh, apparently biased towards his Marvel work. But, no, the, the next one here actually is DC, and it is... Oh my gosh, and I can't read it because it's so small there. Uh, Action Comics uh, 586. And that is the cover with uh, Superman and Orion uh, with Darkseid in the background. And it's just got grit and grime and Kirby Crackle and two of the most more powerful characters within the DC Universe coming together while another standing with, you know, behind it. Um, and of course it's all Kirby here, you know, Kirby beautiful, you know, just, I'm having a hard time articulating here, because the, um, (laughs) but I mean, it is Byrne doing Kirby, and I don't think there's anybody that does Kirby as well as Byrne, and yet brings it up into a more modern age. This is a a timeless, classic cover here, um, 
and just beautiful. And I, I do believe that's Terry Austin on the ink. No, no, actually, uh, the thing you're It's calls Dick Gia, Gia, Giordano, well, no, isn't it? Giordano did the inks on the inside. We should say G- Giordano's studio did the inks on the inside. But uh, <laughs> no, it says Byrne did the cover himself on Mike's Amazing World. Well, yeah, and that's what I, when I'm, I look at that and it says artist John Byrne, I don't know if they mean, because sometimes a list anchor below it. So maybe if, he, yeah. if he's saying artist, they mean he, they did both. He did, he did pencils and inks. Okay, pencils and inks, okay. Yeah, but I mean, that, and again, this is, you know, very, very early, three issues in uh, on, on Burns' run, or four issues in on Burns' run here. Um, of course, he had done, you know, Man of Steel, and then three issues of Superman, three issues of action. Um, so he had already, <laughs> he was already, you know, done done quite a bit up to this point, but I mean, that, that right there is just, one of those this is John Byrne at the true height of his powers uh, just channeling every bit of nostalgia and coolness into one shot one cover and uh, I remember the excitement of seeing that on the shelves and just going this is amazing and also the the, the issues alone gave uh, real real good insights into how Superman's powers were working we're talking about his invulnerability and flight and strength because while he was under granny goodness's thrall he didn't have total control over his powers he wasn't as strong as he normally is and they didn't understand that yeah burn kind of explored that pretty heavily throughout his entire well the first since he did man of steel we took when he started doing superman and, and these books he kind of explored that quite a bit the first year or so uh, to you know, take his it was kind of his take on this is my way of explaining it, you know. Yep. But that's a good cover. It is. It, it's very. Uh, it's it's kind of like the one we just looked for characters. It's a little dark, uh, but it's dark where it needs to be because because dark side almost blends into the back. But your eyes are drawn, you know, directly to the the shield on Superman's chest, which he has decided to kind of outline under behind that blast of whatever Ryan's getting, you know, delivering to him. Yep. Good work. Thank you. Oh, you're talking yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, good work for you, too. Kirk, you have any comments there? No, I agree. Um, I think I bought this, uh, but I would not have remembered this. As you say, I'm more of a more Marvel fan, and so uh, all of my all my uh, nominations are from Marvel. Hmm. Well, I'm going to, I will go next and I'm going to actually jump my list. And this one is kind of a special uh, case here. Because uh, it's not one cover, it's 12. Actually, it's one. Uh, I am picking Ohatmu Deluxe. Ooh. And it's the entire cover. Because if you think about it, that is one piece of art. Just split up over, was it 12 issues? Or however long many he did. Um, and the 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 artwork is good, but what I, the reason I'm picking is it's it's the the scope of what he did, that he took one continuous kind of parade of characters as they go almost like they're going by the camera, and you know drew them in such a way that he could slice them up into these different uh, issues for each of the the you know and oh hot move what I mean is the official handbook of the Marvel Universe in case anybody listening doesn't know that. And it's basically the encyclopedia of you know Marvel characters. Now Rubenstein did the inks on that, right? Yeah, Joe. I couldn't find I couldn't find 
couldn't find coloring a colorist, uh, but uh, Rubenstein was listed as the uh, the anchor. And it's a shame they didn't uh, because the original, the first run of the of the Ohatmu, uh, they released that as a poster, and I've got it. It's like five by five. Now, Kurt, I wish they'd done that. You're looking at the first series there um, that you pulled up. I got the it. Comic. No, that's this isn't the one that was done by Byrne. That's Understood. The, that's the first one. The second one, you know, the deluxe edition, or you know, is referred to as deluxe edition, and um, they, I mean, right there. Yeah, that's there it. Yeah, yeah. And so that's all burned with Joe Rubenstein inking, and I think and that they, was... they covered it except for the death books, or did they cover the death books also? The books that they, they did, but I don't think he did the work because it wasn't done in his style. It was yeah. done, yeah. and they were all kind of coming out of a graveyard. That's right. But I almost think it was Kerry Gamble. But that's yeah, that's I mean, again, that's like seminal work there, and something that that I, I think everybody would be familiar with. I think there's so many of us from the generation that read during this time really grabbed on to these books and have gotten so much of it ingrained in our heads. And if you're not listening to Ohatmu or not on the Fire and Water Network, you, you must listen to it. It is a blast of a show where Siskoid and um, several female comic book readers from Canada, or actually not, they're not necessarily comic book readers uh, from Canada, go through this uh, Hot Mood Deluxe Edition and determine whether each of the characters in there is hot or not. <laughs> of course, the first episode, there, the, you know, the, the angel entry in there has a lot of images from the Hulk Annual 7. And Angel, of course, is wearing that um, kind of tank top, not not quite wife beater shirt, and he's apparently got a gold chain around him. They thought he looked a little too disco to be hot. Well, you have to yeah <laughs> take it for the consider the times when it was when that was written. Yeah. Well, Hot Moo, I've uh, from reading that there are my knowledge of characters that I've never read a single story they're in, but I'm aware of who they are because I've read uh, this book. I think one of the funniest aspects is when you get to the Book of the Dead, and each character study in Book of the Dead also shows their dying moment. Mm -hmm. And there was like, there was, I'd have to say a good you know, one third of the characters in the Book of the Dead that they put in there were all killed during the Scourge's uh, barroom <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, barroom massacre. So and they probably all, they have all since probably come back. Uh, no, these were all like really third and fourth tier villains. So, you know, I don't know that many of them have actually come back. Maybe Firebrand. <laughs> yeah. Uh, who knows? Basilisk might have come back. I don't know. But that is a that's a good one, Tim. I do like that. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't have, wouldn't have thought that. Kirk. Kirk, back to you. Am I up? You're up. You're up. Can you guys you're see up. my screen right now? Yes, we can. This yes. is not right. the Book of the Dead that you're talking about that I've got up, right? No, no, no. no. It was okay. uh, it was part of the Ohatmu Deluxe Edition. And it was just, you know, the Book of the Dead that came afterwards, like, like issues 16, 17, 18. Let me, I can, I can pull that up. They, when they did it originally, in the first they did that, it was like Book of the Dead and inactive or something, like they were yeah. tired or something. It was not just necessarily dead, it was just people who were no longer in action. Right, right. The first 15 issues of a hot movie, the deluxe edition, was, um, you know, all the regular characters. And uh, books, issues 16 through 20 was the books of the dead um and yeah it definitely is not 
burn art on the on the covers there, which is sad because that was the first one had Count Nefaria uh, mm -hmm. on there. But uh, let me see here if it says. I thought oh, you were going to say that every character on. that appeared <laughs> in the Book of the Dead had been reversed. You know, <laughs> no. they, were, they were dead at, at that time, but they've no, all come no, back because Uncle Ben will always stay dead. Yeah. The 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 longest standing couple in Marvel Universe history is Uncle Ben and that bullet. Um. Whew. But yeah, no, okay. that's a good one. So what do you got next for us? Uh, this is actually the one that first popped into my head. Uh, Fantastic Four number 244, although I have a hard time remembering which issue number this is. This is the cover where the hand of Galactus dominates the entire um, cover, and Nova is being born or raised from it. He's conjuring, or he's, he's uh, developing Nova. So it's dark purples. It has some orange and pinks in the center, and she's glowing white silver with her flaming hair and it's simply called when calls galactus so simple so striking quintessential burn as far as i'm concerned yeah that's and again a lot lot yeah lots of kirby crackle and of course it's got you know his uh ever evolving signature there instead of you know right there by the spine he's got it right down there by galactus's hand and I'd like to know who does Galactus's manicure there. No <laughs> manicure. Um, yeah, he did the inks on this one too. At least that's what my credits say. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I'd agree with that. There's yeah, no no disputing that that's pure burn. Hmm. And just I mean that right there is probably one of the greater storylines that he. Did. I mean again, this fantastic run is considered, you know, one of the greatest runs in comic book history. I'll put it right up there with the Lee Kirby, uh, Ditko Spider-Man, Roger Stern Spider-Man uh, runs. But some of the greatest runs in comic book history. He ran from what, 232 to 272? 293. 293? Mm -hmm. All right. So uh, doing a little math there, that would be approximately 60 issues, plus or minus five years. It was about five, that was about five years. Yeah. That's the longest run he's done on anything, I think. It, it's yeah, funny that's what at I'd the say. time he said it was always his goal when, uh, whenever he gets on a book to do it, do at least a hundred issues. And yeah. This is the longest <laughs> run that he had straight on on any book, and I think Wonder Woman falls in a close second, uh, not not close second, but falls in second when he was on there for about three years. Um, and you know he I mean, was he was on X Men about three years, wasn't he? Yeah. And yeah, Alpha Flight would have been about at least two years. Two. That went to two years. Just over two years, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. He must... I don't think there's any question. He had a great passion and affection for the Fantastic Four at this point. And I I see in the stories as he gets later on and towards the end, um, the storylines are darker. Uh, I just... I, they don't quite feel the same to me. And I'm... I can sense him getting tired by the end. But then I know there's a lot of office politics going on, and we won't get into that right now. But well, it, it wasn't you know. just office politics, but he had things going on in his personal life. Uh, when he was in, in the middle of Alpha Flight and doing Fantastic Four, he said that was probably the, the most tumultuous era for him personally, emotionally. And so, yeah, you know, it... Uh, 
all that took its toll on him, and you can see it in the stories that he was writing, and 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 some of the art that he was doing. But this right here is so early on. He had just brought Fantastic Four, you know, back to basics, as as uh, yes. people like to say, and you know, making Frankie Ray become Nova, the Herald of Galactus, just was a, a stroke of genius. Because this is a you know, and and we'd really hope to later see more of her and Galactus, you know, the last Galactus story, which never got finished because of the folding of the epic comic book line, um, killed us on that. And then other writers coming in and doing horrible things, you know, with the characters, because they can't help but do horrible things to the characters, you know, had, had since made Burn just not have it in him to come back and resolve that storyline, which is sad. What issue did Frankie uh, show up in, and is she an original character she for him? Before he started uh, writing, um, I know he was one of the first few people to draw her, but uh, I believe that, um, golly, uh, but it was under the previous one of the previous writers that she showed up. And I have to look up the Frankie Ray on, on the, the Marvel Wiki to see where she, That's where okay. she turned up. Yeah. So I think at that on. point she was just the Torch's girlfriend. Right. And then he decided to make her this, you know, the, uh, give her the the similar powers. And then, of course, for that letter to... granddaughter or niece of Phineas Horton, uh, who created the, the hum, original Human Torch. Torch. And she had jostled a thing of chemicals and, you know, got doused and somehow it turned her into a Human Torch instead of incinerating her, so... Shades of the Flash origin. Mm-hmm. Very similar. Yes, yes. Well, that's a yeah. that's a really really good pick. Um, golly, you know, and and uh, yeah, again, most of mine I'm sitting there looking at, you know, were uh, Marvel covers, but I'm going to jump um, jump a couple years later. After and jump this. the shark. <laughs> well, it's ironic that you would say <laughs> that because uh, what I'm looking at is Namor the Submariner, number eight. And this is uh, part of the Headhunter storyline that was in the Desmond and Phoebe Mars uh, story arc. So it's a very uh, stark cover in all reds. And you've got the character of Headhunter standing there with the machete. And you've got uh, images of several people behind her. It kind of uh, evokes the the memory of X-Men 141 a little bit, you know, because it's got the... Yeah, there you go. That's the one. And so she's got the spot on the wall there reserved for Namor. But, I mean, just the, the, the coloring and, and shading that he's done there, this is just uh, really, uh, again, like I, I like to say, is iconic uh, cover and so stark. He did a number of covers over the years that were in red. Now, my, uh, my uh, version of that is a little lighter in color than yours uh, on the background. She's mostly red, but when you go back, it turns into more of a, a, a fuchsia. Kind of a pink, yeah. A very dark, but, uh, yeah, yeah, but, you know, a dark pink, uh, Farfic Nugent type color, <laughs> um, if you will. But, uh, again, you know, that, what she's wearing, you know, just the style of it, of course, he was very good at uh, maintaining certain clothing styles uh, at the time. You know, there's just, it, this cover is just so different that, you know, you walk in the comic book store, your eyes are practically pulled towards it. Well, it's very noir. 
Because he's playing it, doing a lot of shadows, and even the way she's dressed uh, is kind of a, I don't know, maybe kind of a 30s kind of a look. And then uh, that kind of Venetian blind uh, look there at the top. Yeah, there yeah that's, what, that's what, what makes it look noir. Only thing I would have changed on it for him is, and he has done this, he has changed the color of Namor's logo. And that blue just kind of conflicts. Maybe it's it grates a little bit with all the red. So I, maybe I don't know if, if it was red, it might be much a little bit uh, overkill. But I don't know. Other than that, yeah, it's a it's a that's a that's another one that would look good just black and white, without any color. Hmm. Or if he did, uh, you could take this cover and do the uh, the uh, OMAC treatment to it and just do it in black and white with the um, the not the zipatone, but I can't now. I can't remember the name of the process he used, but uh, the duo shade. Duo shade, yeah. Yeah, I, I I actually is like a a little disappointed that he didn't poke some fun at people by putting you know people he knew or what up here. These all seem to be pretty much made up names. I never could find any ties to anybody. You know, in, in anything, they, maybe they're you know personal friends or enemies or whatever burnt, but they're not anybody that we recognize. Well, I think next to her hip, there's a uh, possible candidate for um... Jim Shooter. Take him? Yes, thank you. I couldn't come up with a name. Yeah, Jim Shooter under her uh, by her left hip. Uh, yeah, because yeah, I could see that, but can't tell what that would be on the right side it almost looks like Ben Grimm but not quite well I'm surprised he didn't draw his own face in there somewhere uh, maybe her other hip is him <laughs> that's I what was I was wondering was, I was thinking yeah. directly above Shooter although it says Rick or Dick or Rice Rice. Um, I was thinking that's a variation on um, Roger Stern's face yeah I, I was thinking the same but thing I'm, I'm, I'm really clutching at straws here I'm really really stretching for it <laughs> yeah but uh, that's my pick. I hope you liked it. Cool. Yeah. Good pick. Good pick. Uh, okay. My uh, where am I gonna go next? Well, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna jump my down here. And this one has kind of a caveat in it because it's not really a burned cover. It is Devil Dinosaur number nine. It's a Kirby cover, but Burn does the inks, and yeah. I love his inks over Kirby. I looked at that one yesterday long and hard, and I was just like. It's cool. It's it's really cool, but I just couldn't uh, pull the trigger on that one. Well, this this may be a little bit of my enjoyment of the the run, kind of coloring it, because I really enjoy the wackiness of Devil Dinosaur. Yeah. Uh, it's up there with uh, Omac and all the other kind of stuff that Kirby was doing. He was just, when he was just a writer, and he just didn't, you know. It's like I, whatever whatever comes to mind, I'm doing it, you know. But I just love the one. I love Kirby's artwork, and I just love it's 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 again it's the coloring that makes it too. It's got it's got a richness of reds and oranges, and it's got great Kirby crackle. Uh, it's got a great Kirby kind of uh, I don't know what that is a witch or a yeah I'd cr- say a crone witch. or something yeah something. Uh, and then of course Devil Dinosaur is um, you know it's like he's being blown off the side of the building or something, but. Uh, I just thought because I've, I've been, I was reading this, I've got the trade of Devil Dinosaur, and I've read it. And it's only about nine issues, but uh, I thought this uh, was a was, and I'm sure Byrne must have loved being able to ink over Kirby. 
Yeah, and again, you know, this is in what '78. So I mean, it's it's very early on in his career. I mean, again, he's you know in doing X Men at this point, but still to to get to do that, that just had to have been. Well, what's what's I think is nice about it too is it's not it's it's Kirby, but Byrne even you know he was you know new to the business. He was a, a relatively young artist. He's not slavishly copying Kirby to, so it looks exactly like Kirby did it. He's right. adding his own his own elements to it, so it, it looks it, it is really it truly is a combination of both of them. That's funny because you know it's like he didn't have a problem doing that to Kirby. He did have a problem doing that to Ditko. He couldn't he couldn't um, couldn't find himself yes. changing things on Ditko at all. Well, I don't know if that was of him from maybe he his love for Kirby was stronger or maybe he respected Ditko more or maybe Ditko had such a distinct and he did have a distinct look that he decided to uh, keep it a little more uh, more Ditko but that's if, that, if you haven't read Devil Dinosaur it's a it's a wacky fun read I, I have not but I did like that cover a lot yeah all right, Kirk, I think you are on deck. All right, we're still going forward. Um, again, this is a Marvel book. My next nomination is Alpha Flight 13. This is one issue after the big shock. And in some ways, this looks an awful lot like X-Men 141 in yep. terms of the composition. Um, it's Wolverine uh, standing in front of and protecting Heather. Uh, looks like... Uh, you know, he's in a in some sort of a what do you call a sheep herder's jacket? I don't know how to describe this fur line collar, uh, western look a little bit, but he's not in his traditional costume. Um, they're in a graveyard, and some of the names on the gravestones include Burn right up front, obviously, uh, <laughs> Grom on the left, which is probably Milgram. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and if you look on the right hand side. Uh, maybe I'm making, I'm imagining this. I think it says Mill, M-I-L, and then on the other side it finishes Grum on the, the left side. So that's possible. Sinkevich yeah. is partially legible in the back. Maybe the thing on the right is something else. I'm not sure. But uh, at any rate, those are a few of the in-jokes or, or the credits that uh, um, he's put in here. It's basically a purple and blue uh, cover. I think those appeal to me in terms of the, the colors popping. Uh, and it's I just kind of the pose evokes so much of his relationship with Heather. Um, I really like this. I hate, I absolutely detest covers that have word balloons on them. And I understand right. why they're used, and I understand that it's a trope and that it appeals to younger viewers, viewers, readers, and when I was a kid, it didn't bother me at all. But I also noticed when I look at the Fantastic Four run, they only go to about issue 22, and then they stop. And we get Kirby symbolic covers for virtually the rest of the run. Um, so I, it just, you know, word balloons on the cover just take me out of it. It just, I don't know how else to describe it. So that's the flaw in this cover for me. But nonetheless, I... I put it out here for discussion. It's nice. Well, how do you feel about not word balloons, but like action words? You know, uh, in this issue, the biggest fight ever. So stuff like that. Oh, the you blurb. Know? 
Yeah. Um, that doesn't bother me because I was raised in an era of Lee's bombastic verbiage, and everything had a dramatic Shakespearean title. Um, and I guess I, you know, I, I kind of grew up with it, and that's why. Also, the early FF with the word balloons on the cover, they didn't bother me as a kid, but um, at a certain point, you know, I, I outgrew it and didn't realize that I had. Mm. So, you know, it just, I, I can't put my finger on it, but it just seems juvenile. The use of them on the cover is juvenile. I don't mind them inside the books. I don't care whether it's a thought balloon. It just... I guess it, it evokes to me the era of DC Comics and Superman so and Batman right. having ri- having ridiculous situations. Yes. I've got to eat this entire table or Robin <laughs> will die. You know, what? Hey, but that got you to buy that book and you wanted to see him eat that table. Oh, it got me to pick it off the spinner rack. Yeah, there's no question. Job done then. Hey, yeah. guess who joined us? I think, as I was saying, John, I see John's icon up there. Hey guys, hello. Hey John. Hey John. Hey. Nice of you to wake up and join us. Uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> I've been uh, monitoring or moderating a panel for a conference that uh, that I'm actually currently attending virtually, but uh, wanted to break away and hang out with uh, one of my favorite topics: comic books. <laughs> How long do and, we have you for? Uh, the rest of the the rest of the show. That's great. Now, All twenty talking. minutes because I know how short-winded we are. You nailed that one. Yeah. Now, um, so far, uh, Tim and I have covered three books. Kirk has covered four. And, uh, you know, we'll give you a chance to, I guess, catch up uh, here in a second. I'm going to go ahead and give what is uh, my next one. We're not doing them in any particular order. We're just giving them out as as we get them. And, Thank um, goodness, because, boy, it's hard to put them in any kind of an order. Yeah, and, I, you know, again, I've been sitting there going back and forth on, on mine, you know, just sitting there looking over everything. And I think that um, I've got a bias on this one for a number of reasons. And, and the next one I'm talking about is Captain America 251. And uh, what the cover is, of course, is uh, Cap... Uh, standing over the the limp body of Batroc the Leaper, and behind him you see the very large countenance of a figure, but you just see the face and eyes uh, in in shadow, and you can just see the eyes and the mouth, and then you see these white gloved hands reaching for him. Now, spoilers from 40 years ago, that's uh, Mr. Hyde, but uh, it actually looks very Hulk-like when you look at it. And one of the reasons why you know I like this cover so much is because it is so often duplicated. Um, not necessarily the Cap and Batroc figure, but that figure, Mr. Hyde. I think Todd McFarlane has done like at least 20 homages to this particular image. Uh, you know, of course, he did it with Solomon Grundy on Infinity Inc., and then he did it with the Hulk a number of times during his run there on the the Hulk with the Gray Hulk. So, uh, you know, it's just one of those that stands out to me. Uh, Of course, this was inked by Joe Rubenstein uh, back in the day. And it was during that wonderful nine-issue run that uh, Byrne and um, Roger Stern had on Captain America. That's in War and Remembrance, collected in in the trade called War and Remembrance. For anybody who hasn't already gotten it, it's wonderful. Yeah. What do you guys think about that one? 
I like it. Ex- it's uh, excellent. Yeah, it's and it and it to your point of McFarlane that's that evokes uh, the, all the images when he because you know he first started doing uh, Venom and he always did Venom with the big smile on a black almost an all black uh, costume yeah. with the eyes. That's what that and he he did he did that with a Hulk too. I think a lot of just the 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 grin and the eyes kind of in yeah. shadow. But that's another one that's because um, your eyes are drawn. You almost don't see Hyde. Your eyes are drawn when you first look at it, you. You're drawn to Cap, and then you see him holding a Batroc. And then you notice, as you should, like, oh, there's this thing behind him because you get the two. And I don't know, are those gloves? Or are those just his hands? Are his hands gloves. gloved? I believe. I believe okay. Those are gloves. Yeah. Yeah. You usually don't see fingernails through gloves, but. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> but you're right. I think Hyde does wear gloves. I have to agree with you. Um, I'm not real familiar with the character of Solomon Grundy. Um, a cousin had a book or something where he was on the cover, and somebody told me he was allegedly DC's version of the Hulk, but boy, that's who I would say this character was from the cover. Yeah, it definitely looks like Solomon Grundy. <laughs> I think it's the white hands that makes me think of Grundy, too, because he's all white. Yep, yep. I, I really liked... Uh... I really Actually, like. Actually, he's not wearing gloves in the book, so. But his his hands are flesh colored in the book. It just makes it more dramatic if it's he could be in yeah. white light. It's yeah. just 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 artistic license. Yep. What were you gonna say, John? I was gonna say that I I just think that uh, Burns covers for his Captain America run were actually all really pretty pretty striking and good one of my favorites is uh cap 254 the the baron blood story um just i don't know it's just so impactful just makes you want to like pick it up and read you're just whatever it's just like wow okay i don't care what the story is inside it could be garbage but i'm gonna pick it up because it's yeah that is one of my picks okay cool yeah uh just and yeah, that's just the, the and because I'm familiar with the invaders and they had been canceled for a couple of years, it was so awesome to see Baron Blood come back and uh, the the striking fight there and uh, Union Jack in the back it was just really a great and and Kirk no no word balloons <laughs> it doesn't yeah. need them. Well, it yeah. does have the, the the word box to battle Baron Blood. Yeah, but but, yeah. but it's that not covered up me. by like yeah. I'm gonna get you, Cap, and no Baron Blood, or, or you know, or <laughs> Union Jack in the back say, Cap's about to get eaten. I need to help. You know, I mean, just the cover speaks for itself, and it just tells you what you need to know that there's something awesome gonna happen inside of here, and uh, that's why I, that's one of the reasons why I like this this cover. It's really great. Well, I love when they play with the logo, and you can see in this one, Baron Blood's ears are kind of feather or kind of overlapping the a in captain america so i love when the, the art kind of interacts with the logo yeah i'm with you on that i it, it's just so cool because uh, i guess bef- in olden days you know nothing should ever uh cover the logo because that's all that stuck up above the spinner rack you know as they were all stacked up there but uh like in the x-men when they were when they showed the the logo mm-hmm. crumbling or whatever mm-hmm. you know um Yep. getting smashed and it's all in like in pieces all over the 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 cover is just i i like that too it's kind of cool very cool okay brand 
Let me, uh, Brian, let me give my fourth one. Why don't we let John, John's giving us this one. Let, let him catch up, okay? Uh, okay. Okay. Uh, my next one, and sorry, Kirk, but it's got word balloons on it, okay. is uh, Star Wars number 13. Oh. Oh, interesting. And I thought it was because it's such a, uh, the, the, I think this is the only Star Wars cover he did. This, it's such a, a, his artwork is so different from uh, Carmen T- uh, Infantino that's inside, which I like uh, Infantino, but his is so different. And I think, uh, you know, no, uh, no, no slight to, to all the other Star Wars artists, but I think Byrne here does uh, a Wookiee better than anybody else. I always got the idea that he wasn't um, a, a big fan of Star Wars. And I mean, fact of the matter is, I've only seen three pieces of of work from John Byrne in relation to Star Wars. This one right here, the shot of three PO getting blown up in Cloud City, and then the very um, uh, harsh look at Darth Vader without the mask. Mm-hmm. And those are the only those are the only Star Wars pieces of uh, art that I've I've seen John Byrne do. Yeah, you don't see a lot of commissions from him, uh, and this may have just been a work for hire because this is. Um, but Austin inked this, which which I think makes it adds a little bit to it. And uh, if I'm reading right, Janice Cohen was the colorist. Not that there's any way dramatic on the coloring, but um, it's a dramatic scene of something. That, you know, again, it's back before they changed this. It's a scene that actually occurs in the book, um, and you know, it's got the word balloon. A pesky word balloon on a curb that's letting us know that, uh, you know, uh, I can't let the Wookiee win this time. A little callback to the movie. Yeah, it works. For who they're trying to appeal to, it it works. And that is a very ferocious looking Chewbacca. Yeah, and it probably, uh, Luke would not survive that. If he gets in the chest by Chewbacca, I don't think think he's going to, I don't think he's going to survive that, but... um, this is another one I think I had this I bought this I think at a, a, a Gibson's or um, <laughs> someplace it was a pack of three it was issue uh, I think 11 12 13 or it was 13 14 15 it kind of gives this whole uh, water planet arc and this is one of them so before for the longest time this is the only it's one of the few comics I got as a kid and I kept because it was I was a Star Wars fan and I got it so this, know, this, may be a... this book was very uh, indicative of, of, of an overall issue that us as comic book fans ran into in the 70s and 80s. And that was, you'd be in there in the comic book shop or the grocery store, the, the, the drug store, whatever, and you would see this John Byrne cover. And you're like, oh my God, that's gorgeous, and you've got to buy that book. And then you open it up on the inside, and it's, you know... Somebody else. Somebody else that's... And just nowhere near as good the art as, as Byrne. Whether... Yeah, I mean, Carmine Infantino at this time, you know, he was towards the last legs of his career. And, uh, you know, and just... Again, you know, it, there's a lot of people that really loved this work at that time. Scott Gardner, you know, is a huge proponent of Carmine Infantino's work. He, he uh, actually said that uh, Princess Leia that Carmine Infantino drew was actually more more uh, attractive than, than uh, uh, Carrie Fisher. Fisher at the time. So, 
I mean, again, you know, it, it's it's a personal choice, but you know, again, it was one of those things that always bugged me. Um, I I know that that like there was a number of issues I picked up over the years where it had a burn cover, but it was somebody else like Alex Savick and Vinny Coletta on the inside, and I'm just like, oh my gosh, they got me. <laughs> Well, they got you. Well, and they don't do this so much now, but they—they, they, uh, I remember when I was I was kind of collecting, you know, the early '80s. You would be reading a book, and then when they switch artists, the the new artists would kind of draw in the old style and mm-hmm. kind of gradually go into their style. So you didn't, sometimes you didn't notice. Like, oh, wait a minute, this is a different artist. And now it's now, of course, it's just a, uh, it's just a you know a stopping point. You know, this person stops and this person comes on, but. I don't know if that was the, that was done for readers to, to as, so it's not so jarring when you're going from one artist to the next. You know, Carmine is such hit and miss for me. Like I like I like his work on Star Wars, though um, sometimes I can definitely tell his style that I don't like. But overall, his work on Star Wars I enjoy. Uh, but when you get into stuff like his work on Heroes for Hire or um, Dial H for Hero when it was part of uh, I think yeah. Adventure Comics. Oh, I hated that. It was just seemed so. And that was also how his flash was going at the time, and that was when he was inking his own stuff. Yeah, maybe that's what it was because yeah, the flash stuff and even the Supergirl, daring the adventures of Supergirl. Just, I, I'm just like I, I. Part of it's also the writing on that. That that was just really. Uh, she was not written. That was not written very well. But yeah, the art style. But it's hit and miss. There are times where I'm like, oh, okay. Carmine Infantino. Why do I not like him? Because this is actually, I like you know, older stuff. Uh, this is you know, nice. And it's, it's well, funny it, because if you look at um, the first couple seasons of the TV show, the, the the current TV show, The Flash, that they were looking, they were trying so hard to give Barry in the Flash costume the look that Carmine Infantino gave the Flash in those early days, and they, they were very effective at doing it. I really like that stuff, especially. Uh, the stories with him and Elongated Man back then. And, uh, you know, I mean, Carmine's work looked beautiful. It's just as he got older, you know, the way he did his lines was a lot different. And, you know, every artist uh, evolves as they go along. And as they get older and their line work gets a little bit rougher, it's harder for the inkers to come behind them and try to adjust because, you know, again, you don't want to go up to a legend and sit there and say, well, I'm going to make it look better. Mm-hmm. Well, it's funny that Infantino's style changed so much. He's one of the few artists that, that uh, in some instances, I mean, for Byrne, yes, his art has kind of evolved, but it really hasn't changed that much, the style. And to me, Infantino's style changed the way, uh, the, I think the biggest example to me is Romita Jr. Look at his early work to where he is now. Yeah. And I like his, his new stuff, but that, that was a, a, a definite change that he decided to go a different, kind of a different style. Uh, and some artists don't. They just stay, their art may get weaker or uh, not as refined, but it, some of the style doesn't change. Um, Keith Giffen, and I thought, uh, Bill Sienkiewicz. I mean, there are two artists who started off doing whatever house style uh, or popular style, like Keith Giffen was was really aping a lot of Neil Adams when he first got in, but then he went off and did that French. I don't know what they. I don't remember what they call that style that he's done in much much later years. But again, you know, he stayed within the nine panel realm, 
but he just changed the look of it and it was nowhere near as attractive as the early stuff that he did with Larry Malstead on Legion. You look at the Great Darkness saga and you just go, wow, this is great art, but you look at his work even two years later and you're like, what is going on here? Don't get me wrong, I, I really like it, but... Uh, yeah. yeah, and that may be to your point of maybe they're they're required to do kind of a house style and now they're freed up to do whatever they want. Right. Uh, so maybe that's that's the difference. So, um, wait, are we going to let you go next and then... Um, oh, well, no, I so just went, so we're going to let went. John... We're going yeah, to let John catch up. Yeah, we're going to let John catch up. Four in a row. Real quick. That I could do. Um, okay. If I did have to pick one favorite out of all of these, it's this one, Avengers 187. The part of the yesterday... Oh, shoot. It's, I always call it the yesterday quest, but it's not. It's the uh, Avengers Quicksilver... Um, storyline from Avengers that Byrne drew and he did two of the covers uh, I always thought that the Wonder Gore yeah. trilogy yeah so 187 uh, and uh, to me I just think it's a very striking uh, image and I've noticed as I as I looked at a, um, a lot of his covers kind of in a, a gallery style um, through um, that link that you that you mentioned <laughs> at Mike's Amazing World of Comics I noticed that that's kind of a, a format that he uses on several types of covers, and I found that um, when I've looked at other covers that I found interesting to me, it, this was one of the one of the styles that he does them in that I really like. Even if it's something simple like the supervillain team up with Doctor Doom and then the champions kneeling before him in subservience, mm -hmm. it's a very similar style. So um, yeah, I really like this one. Uh, it was a Again, <laughs> see it on the stand. You're just gonna pick it up because you're like, what the heck? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I mean, he did this, uh, of course, in X-Men, but it was it was interior art, and then uh, also in Avengers West Coast when the Scarlet Witch went darker than Scarlet, uh, she did that and had the infamous scene where she did whatever she did to Wonder Man. But mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, it, it evokes a lot of evokes a lot of uh, different things here. I mean, just she looks just frightening. Uh, the way he's got her face. I actually have a coloring book that has this page in it. And it's the really? only, it's just about the wow. only John Byrne page I found in any of those coloring books aside from Stow Away to the Stars. Yeah, but, so um, just the design of it, real quickly, is uh, Scarlet Witch being possessed by the villain, uh, by the demon or spirit Cathan, and um, hanging. Suspended, actually not hanging, but suspended are the Avengers behind her uh, amidst the, the snowy tops of Wondergore. And she's got her hands lifted in triumph and, and magic as she's going to do whatever she does to take over the world or whatever. So it's just a really striking image to me. I, I, it's really cool. The Avengers it's, are all inverted. They're upside down. Yeah. Quick yeah. Which makes it even like more terrifying. <laughs> Well, it's it's kind of an adult cover too. I think for some reason it's not there's nothing graphic about it, but it just seems a little over the uh, edge. Maybe I mean it's, I like it. There's nothing wrong with it, but I think just that it's maybe pushing the boundaries of a comic cover. Maybe it just seems yeah, a little, I agree. Um, More mature, it, mature exactly. It reminds me a lot of uh, FF two thirty two, where uh, Diablo's it's not really the same layout, but for some reason they. My mind's connecting those two. Hmm. Which is Fern's really, first one. Really good pick there, John. Um, 
And I like the uh, the use of the reddish Kirby crackle in the back. Yeah, and I like the fact that he has taken he has thought enough ahead that Cap's boots are kind of because yeah. you know they're that buc buccaneer style they would kind of flop down like that. Well, and everybody's hair, of course, is uh, right flow, flowing downward. Though the fringe on Falcon's um, at, at towards his feet they're not they're not uh, angling up. They just may be very tough leather, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> good. That's a good. good that's a good pick. pick. It is. What's hey, next? thanks. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, next is uh, it's three because they're the same style of cover. Um, so it's not that I like all three equally, but I like I like the the composition, which is Fantastic Four two forty nine, Superman eight trio two, and that is the yeah. famous cover of um, Gladiator. Um, and the Fantastic Four defeated at his feet, and um, Superman 8 is um, a similar version with Superman and the Legion of Superheroes uh, with the equivalent powers of the Fantastic Four um, in the same pose. And then Trio is, is a similar, it's a uh, very similar strong villain, and then the, the, the characters he created for Trio there as well. So this is just a it's one of my favorites because I just it's imposing, it's striking it's definitely going to draw you into whatever the story is and for those that don't recognize it right away and I'm sure we brought it up here a couple times if you look at the characters with the, within the Legion of Superheroes you find it there, the anagram for the members of the Fantastic Four so you got Block for the Thing who's essentially a giant rock You've got Invisible Kid over there, where Invisible Girl is. Brainiac 5, who's the, the super genius for Mr. Fantastic. And Sunboy there for the Human Torch. And if I just hit you over the head with a 2x4, I'm very sorry. But uh, we've heard other podcasters, namely Michael Bailey, who didn't catch that fact when they were covering this, uh, that episode, that issue on their own episodes. Sorry, I had to take a little dig. <laughs> Yeah. No, that's okay. Yeah, uh, Michael Bailey that, that's come after you. That's that's one of the things that makes the Superman cover uh, really so cool. And and then to me, uh, for for me, this is one of the things that I love homage covers. I love when I find out it's an homage cover, so that I can go and and look at the two and see how the new artist homaged and what elements they picked in. And the fact that uh, John homaged his own cover. And then did the anagrams of the Legion of Superheroes for the Fantastic Four was even um, was, was really cool as well. Well, so. and Gladiator is basically an anagram of Superman, so right. it works both ways. Yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah. Superboy actually, but yeah, okay. Because uh, the Imperial Guard is based on the Legion of Superheroes, which Dave Cockrum helped design both. He designed mm -hmm. the costumes, at least for most of the Legion of Superheroes in that era. And of course, he designed the Imperial Guard, so they're very much, much the same. So it, it's yep. ironic, and well, not ironic, but uh, you know, just interesting <clears throat> that he would sit there and do that. It was noted though when he did the the uh, Superman cover there that it was uh, his choice of characters from the editorial perspective didn't make any sense to them because they they typically wouldn't be going out on missions together. But you know, they didn't understand what he was trying to do. And, of course, yep. you know, we look at it and we're just like, hey, that's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> we look at it we're like, wow, that's so cool. Especially when it clicks in the brain, then it's just like, oh, my goodness, yeah. 
Well, when so. you see when you when you look at the gallery that when you go to Mike's and you see the gallery of all his uh, covers, you see, you know, repeating uh, poses and themes, which is not wrong. Nothing wrong with that because no more than a director having a particular style of a shot that he likes that he uses all the time. So you'll see him repeat. Uh, poses and layouts and compositions, uh, you know, several times. It's yeah, not which you can see them all at once. Which issue of Trio was also in the same? Trio 2, number 2. Now, looking at that cover, it's not quite a exact anagram, because I can't remember the characters very well, so um, the, the fact that we have this stretchy girl i can't remember what her name is thin or something um oh paper right she was called paper yeah, aren't these paper rock and scissors isn't that yeah what, yeah so paper's laying back there and not in in the the other guy's um hand which is where mr fantastic was as the as the um stretching person but we still got the big rock person up on top and then um scissors there so um yeah, it's, it's, it's similar enough that uh, I thought, oh, that's pretty cool. All right. Well, one of the reasons is if, if she was in Reed Richards' position, Fishman or whoever he is would be grabbing her bust. Mm, yeah, true, true, true. Yeah. Can't have that. Not that there's anything wrong with that. <laughs> oh, yes, I so, think there is something wrong with that. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So I'm counting that, all three of those, as one. One cover? Cool. That was it. Cap 254 I already covered. And then uh, I guess my fourth one up to this point would be Namer 12 that we covered a couple weeks ago, uh, which has the original invaders on the cover surrounded by all of this smoke and fire. And uh, it's Captain America, Namor, and the original Human Torch. Uh, I just find this to be a amazingly striking cover. Uh and uh, it's just it's just really something that I really enjoy. And I think I like it because of that, that different style that he was doing. And it kind of set it off as a uh, different, you know, that dual tone. Um, that to me just I really find it different enough that I really like it. Yeah, that is, that, that is a beautiful cover. And, and, and again, you know, seeing the invaders together. Again, I was like completely messed up on their history i thought that they had been around in comic book form you know for years and years it only turned out they, they were they only came out about in the 70s thanks to roy thomas well they came out in the 70s as a team called the invaders in the 70s but when you look at all of the 1940s uh and world war ii era books they often would uh, guests in each other's books, I think, and then kind of, so they didn't fight as a team, but they did fight the alongside axis. each other or, or kind of adventures together. Torch and Namor, of course, had a number of fights against each other that were, uh, you know, huge uh, in the books. I mean, you would say it was huge. Uh, if you read Marvels, uh, Kurbisik and Alec Ross, you you'd see a lot of the beginnings of that. Uh, but he also did throw in. A great what I would call an invaders uh, shot at the very last page of the first issue of Marvels, where you see Cap and Bucky and Namor and the Human Torch and Toro and so many others coming in on the Nazi camp. Beautiful stuff. But this is yeah, I love this. Yeah. So that brings cool. me up to four. 
That's up to All right, so we go back to Kirk, I think, for number five. I got to say, I'm really amazed that we haven't had that much overlap. We uh, haven't really so had any overlap, have yeah. we? No, not really. We haven't overlapped anything, I don't think. You've, a lot of you guys have chosen, have selected books that I had on my short list. Not that, that we've had that much overlap, but a good cover is a good cover. There's there's no question about it. Um, I'm going to need broken. a second here because I'm wrestling with which one to choose for my final. Go ahead. Well, that's good. Then while you're doing that, let me ask this. Since I missed um, the first part of the show, how many of you have selected X-Men covers as your as your well, best we, covers? The first thing that aside that, from that the I ones said, that we already eliminated. Yeah, the the first thing that I had said was yeah, no, no uh, X-Men 141 or 137, just because everybody would be picking those. Um, but uh, beyond that, I don't think I, I think what we do we have any X Men covers selected? Yes, Kirk yes. did one fourteen. Oh, that's right, one fourteen. Okay. Well, I'm kind of surprised then that more X Men covers didn't show up. And just for me, uh, looking at his X Men covers in a gallery, uh, I don't think a lot of them are as impressive as say Avengers one eighty seven. I mean, they're good and. But I just don't think that a lot of them, aside from, of course, those obvious ones that we eliminated and, and possibly X-Men 136, really just kind of stood out to me. Because uh, a lot of them were just typical covers that kind of brought you into the story. And X-Men 114 is a great cover. That is one that I definitely considered adding onto my list. So I agree with you on that one, Kirk. Yeah, sometimes it's, you know, like, uh, I didn't pick any of the OMAC books. Because I love the story, but the covers are pretty, pretty basic. It's just a character yeah. and, the, and the logo. And it doesn't really, I mean, it's not dynamic. So I didn't pick any of those. So I think, uh, John, you're right. Sometimes the, the, the story inside is overshadows the cover because the cover is kind of, yeah, it gets you into the book. But Yeah, and there, there's yeah. a few covers that stuck out that do stand out on the run with the X-Men, but... Um... I'm just. It's nice to see uh, or to hear about uh, a lot of the other types of covers that we've got uh, to to select from and choose. And wow, yeah. just a a lot of work. <laughs> well, I'll I'll recap this here since Kirk's looking for. He's trying to make his decision. This is like uh, previously on uh, Third Degree Burn. What what Kirk has picked was Alpha Flight number three, X Men one fourteen, FF two forty four. And Alpha Flight 13. And Brian had picked Peter Parker's Protect Your Spider Man 101, uh, Action Comics 286, Namor 8, uh, Cap 251, and I had picked Blood of the Demon number 11, uh, the entire Ohatmu run, the deluxe, that one long cover he did, uh, Devil Dinosaur number 9, uh, and I think that's. Did I, did I pick the fourth one? Oh, and Star Wars number 13. I love that you kind of did what I did. Okay, yeah, um, all 14 issues of these count yeah. as one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, there's no other way to go. Kirk got disconnected, so uh, we're going to give him a second. Uh -oh. He's got a reboot. So uh, do we want to take a quick bio break and uh, put a promo here? I'm, or Yeah, I'm back. we can. Oh, he's oh, back. You're back? Yeah. Excellent. Uh, whatever. I just caught the tail end of that. What do you guys want to do right now? No, we're good. Uh, I think we got yeah. about 20 minutes left, so we can go ahead and finish yeah. from here. 
Okay. Where were you? Uh, you're number five, Kirk. We were gonna you were gonna Give regale us with go last ahead cover. And somebody else go first while I call up the image. Um, I'm um, not ready. Yeah, John, do okay. you want to go next? Yeah, sure. Uh, well, Cap 244, or I'm sorry, uh, Fantastic Four 244 is uh, one of my ones, so I agree. Uh, amazing cover. Uh, just, yeah. <laughs> that That's just great. You guys covered it well. So I'm going to go with, this is kind of tough. Um, I'm going to say as my, I will probably do uh, close seconds, Batman Cap number one. Oh, wow. That's that's a great one. Oh, speaking yeah. of which, uh, you guys might be happy to know that they're going to put together. Uh, they're putting out in February, just in time for my birthday. John Byrne's <laughs> Generations Omnibus. Oh, I Ooh. saw that. <clears throat> yeah, they're going to collect all three series in one giant bound volume. They're not going to put Batman, Captain America in there. That one right there would have so many legal issues getting put into. <laughs> You know, any anything combined with a DC and or Marvel book, that uh, that's that's going to be a hard one to get reproduced. I'm glad I have the Batman cap, uh, and I have Generations one and two. I've never been able to find Generations three, and I haven't even read it. So um, the, now I have to decide: issues, do I want to buy the omnibus just for Generations three or not? <laughs> I thought the single issues are pretty easy to find, and they should be. Uh, easy to find in uh, digital format. Oh, uh, so okay. I'm have to look. Okay, cool. That'd be easy to. Uh, well, while we're waiting again, Kirk, Ryan, you want to go ahead I'm and ready. give us your number? Oh, okay. Kirk is number going to give us number five. Yeah, with a, this with is a hard because I'm narrowing things down and and making cuts, <laughs> even as we discuss. I don't know if you can see this or if I'm sharing my screen, but um, no. I've I framed only maybe out of my whole collection, only three or four covers uh, years ago, 20 years ago uh, or more that I had on my wall. And most of what I've been telling you or sharing with you is under glass, you know, Fantastic Four, 244, um, you know, the Alpha Flight, the uh, the Fantastic Four that I'm about to share. All of these are, are no longer hanging on my wall because we've moved a couple of times since then. But all of these had spoken to me enough that I wanted them on, on my wall art. So Fantastic Four 267 is the one that I guess I'm going to go with just because of the concept. Um, it's in the arms of the octopus. And oh, yeah. it has basically Reed Richards being stretched above a cityscape by the tentacles of Dr. Octopus. This is a very unusual story. This is a very... Uh, unusual concept that Reed trying to save his unborn second child is turning to an expert in radiation uh, Dr. Octopus works for a while keeps him sane but as they rush to the uh, hospital uh, Octopus goes off so it's basically a two person fight ultimately he does reach him he reasons with him and uh, they attempt to save Sue's child and if you haven't already read this, spoiler, they fail. Um, it's a gut punch. The last page is terribly affecting mm -hmm. uh, with a huge black frame around it. So Sue survives, but the child does not, at least at this point in the timeline. From the saying, she does come back, doesn't she? 
someplace <laughs> somebody tried to reinvent this and made a version where that child survives, and so it kind of blunts the the impact of this issue. But um, I don't I talk about that. this issue much. I never but it's, that. Is, is that the Valeria girl? Valeria, yes. Valeria so, girl. So apparently Doom had something to do with that, based on the name. <laughs> yeah, she was I raised by she was raised by Doom, and now she's back, and she's got she's like a three year old, but she's got the intellect of Reed Richards. It's 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 not uh, it's not something I would embrace. But this is our first or second uh, crossover because this is my number five too. Oh. I love this cover. Oh. I love this cover. I love the story. I love the 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 dynamic of it, the way Kirk was talking about. It. I love the cityscape because this is when Byrne was he was doing his cityscapes differently. He was almost like photo referencing. It's yeah. lo- that looks like a photo that he has somehow traced or back, back just something and, yeah. or photoshopped or something so that they're they're more realistic. You can really get a sense of height from here. You get a sense that Reed is really being stretched to his limits, uh, and it's. It, it's it's a to Kurt's point. It is a gut punch of a story. Given well, that, that this is done it, in the in the mid '80s, that it wouldn't be anything like Photoshop. You're probably talking more of a CAD program uh, that he would have well, to work from, or he just working from a, a, a photo behind. It's a, a photo because that's yeah, those aren't those aren't vector graphics. That's yeah. too that would be too much computer power, but. You can do uh, you can probably do some type of a filter on a actual actual photo, which you can do down Photoshop. But you can do something like that that you know he maybe he's um, to your point maybe it's on a light box and he's kind of drawing over it. But um, it uh, it's it's kind of like when you know Kirby was doing his collages and he would actually use actual photos yes. in the background to do weird stuff. It's kind <laughs> yeah. of like that. But um, this is like. Uh, uh, I've related to say killing Henry Blake and Mash. You know, it's there's yes. no reason for it, but it's it's there to show you that not everything is a happy ending. Uh, so uh, I also pick. like that, that that you're just seeing elements of Doc Ock. You don't even he's not even fully on the cover. Uh, you just see his 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 tentacles sticking out. And for those who read the book normally, we know what it is. So. Uh, <clears throat> just the the perspective of it and everything just really shows you that well this is going to be a serious battle and uh, it is an impressive cover that's for sure. Well, if this was going to be one of yours, may I suggest an a um, an honorable mention? Um, just because I was torn between the two of them. What's that? I want to I want to put a sixth book out here as my okay. honorable mention well, one. Well, well, we're going to get into the honorable mentions here in a second because we knew we were going to okay. run way over. Um, okay. So uh, that was, of course, Kirk's. Did you already give us your fifth one, John? Yeah, uh, Batman Cap. That's, uh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, so I'll go next, and the the next one I have is actually a DC cover, and it's a much later cover than than many of the ones I've covered before. Uh, this is JLA 96 from the 10th Circle storyline. Mm. And so John Byrne and Jerry Ordway doing a cover. And you've got Superman standing there. And he's in such shadow that the S on his uh, shield is is dark, real dark. And his cape is almost blood red. And Wonder Woman is laying on the floor. And she's got a sword uh, stuck in her chest. And of course she looks dead or dying. With her uh, arms outstretched. Which issue? 
just JLA 96. Thank you. Yeah. So this is part of the uh, Tenth Circle storyline leading up to the new Doom Patrol. Correct. Yes. Or the old new Doom Patrol. Right. <laughs> but and, and of course you see you know Superman standing there and behind them is a, the tattered tapestry of the Tenth Circle uh, symbol. But that's just such a, it's almost photographic, mm -hmm. uh, the, the way this one looks. And it's something that, uh, you know, Byrne and Ordway was always, I always thought that was a, a good combination when they were working on uh, Fantastic Four. And, uh, I mean, er Ordway back then was just at his inking, the height of his inking power because he was doing stuff like that in Crisis on Infinite Earths and complimenting George Perez's pencils uh, really well. And what he does here is just really, really amazing. It's a very, very striking cover. I've never read this. Is this uh, worth a... I mean, say he's team with Claremont again. Is this... Uh, it's worth... It's in a trade. It's, it's worth really, reading? really, wordy. And I, 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 I you know, <laughs> I love the images and such, and some of the Justice League interaction, but you just get bored with the wordy. Well, it's Claremont. It's going to be wordy. It doesn't have it's... to be that wordy. <laughs> I think this is Claremont cover. being even more Claremont than Claremont typically was <laughs> is it more wordy than claremont well because if i remember right this is the case where he was you know providing the script and burn had to draw from it so burn was more of an art robot rather than them doing it in the Mar marvel method i could be wrong on that i may have to take it yeah you know, so you don't you don't know if you plotted or not on it or helped yeah yeah i don't but uh i just i've always loved that cover uh, there is some stuff that Byrne got to do in his later years at DC, you know, here in Action Comics uh, and such, but they, they seem to take the covers away from him a lot more in that time, too. If he was doing art within the book, he didn't necessarily get to do the cover. Uh, and so That's was, a mistake. That well, is a mistake. That, but that was like when he was doing his uh, the, the run with Gail Simone on Action, half the covers of those were not, were not Byrne cover. They were Jurgens or somebody else and you see when he gets to do the cover boom you know if they gave him a book that, he, that was all his own it was usually different Doom Patrol was one of those where it seemed like he got to do all the covers uh, Blood of the Demon he did all the covers but uh, when he did the combo books like this then you know it was editor's choice apparently well it seems I don't the, think the, those books sold as well uh, in this period as well I mean it, it's just my impression that they they didn't sell the doom patrol the uh blood the 10th circle well the tenth blood circle, of the demon i don't, I don't know i'm sure talking out my well. yeah but but I, I know that doom patrol and blood of the demon uh and what was the other book that he did at the time uh i don't know if lab rats was in that same era but no I they didn't they didn't sell he had his he had his lucky fifty thousand that followed him to every book but you know, you know, beyond that, he might have some just you know from the character cachet. JLA, of course, has a higher amount of uh, of readers that you're going to get anyway, and add on Burns fifty thousand to it. Well, I wonder I if he was going to if he was going to do the Doom Patrol. Maybe he decided to do these issues because it led into the yeah. book he wanted to do. Right. As striking as this cover is, I cannot see little Johnny saying, "Mom, mom." Buy me this. <laughs> I mean, my, you know what I'm saying? This is not a, a spinner rack. This does not appeal to the general public. It may get their attention, but it's going to get a hell of a lot of negative attention 
with something this graphic. And yet I mean, he got... knew that he wasn't that he was selling to the faithful forty or fifty thousand. He knew that he was dealing with an adult audience, but on the spinner rack or in in Myers or Kroger's or um, Walmart or what have you, this would never fly. Or if it would, it just wouldn't. I. But the, the, I'll get the off thing, my soapbox now. These are not again. These aren't on the spinner racks, right? Uh, anymore. Right. You know, I mean, this is what the early two thousands and two thousand four. Yeah. Yeah. It still had the comic code market. authority stamp on it, which I, I'm trying to figure out why there is a comic code authority stamp on that one with the sword sticking out of it. I guess it's because there's no actual blood. There's no blood. Yeah. Well, I'm well, that, on, that, that, uh, I'm seeing blood on one of two versions here, but it may simply be a misprint. I'm on uh, the comic Grand Comic Database, mm-hmm. and I think I'm sharing this, and I'm seeing a little bit of blood on her leg next to the sword, that's, but that, that could just be specks on, of dirt. That's not on any other image I have. That's you know, All right. a scan. Well, never mind. Dirt on it, yeah. Yeah. But, I, again, and, you know, it's just an amazing cover, and, you, I mean, you're seeing Byrne and Ordway doing this in, in the 2000s. It, it, it just shows, you know, that his art is still gorgeous and in my opinion relevant but uh yeah it is and it's it's not a if i just glance at that i wouldn't immediately think burn it doesn't look it doesn't look burned to me either it doesn't look burned i mean a little bit i see a little bit in superman's face uh i don't i see a little bit in the mouth of wonder woman because that's how he draws his mouth um that cape for some reason that cape is screaming walt simonson i don't know why Hmm. uh to me but I think it's just because it looks like it was inked with a pen instead of a brush, but I, I agree. It's 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 definitely dark and moody and uh, dramatic, and yeah, it's it, you know little Johnny probably would not want to <laughs> want to buy it, but um, anybody over the age of thirteen would probably want to pick it up. Yeah, maybe. At least it probably has something to do with the story inside. It seems that the, the the latest craze is, and I don't know if this is a. It's got to have something to do with money or time that covers don't have anything to do with what is the content of the book. It's usually not done by the artist. And it, it seems like they're having people just do kind of generic covers and they're stockpiling them and they're just throwing them on a, throwing them on a book because it looks, it's usually very painterly or it's, uh, again, it's just a dramatic pic, a picture of the, the character inside that it has that nothing to do with inside. The artists than the editors, the artists are, flooding them with this kind of stuff because they can get more money from those types of covers rather than one that's specific to the issue itself. Well, so can this produce... scene does not occur in this book? Is no, that no, what you're this, saying? Th- no, no, not at all. This uh, is going oh to be my God. what's going on in the story. I'm, I'm talking about the other artists that are out today that, you know, they're when they're sitting there doing their stuff, they're trying to make as many splash pages as possible. That's why we're getting the decompressed storylines and such that you know we're getting because if they can do splash pages they get paid more for those when they sell them themselves later than a nine page grid you know with with you know different things and you know they're always going to you know do these large character splashes because you know the, the, the these two main characters two of the big three on here selling this one out in you know the market after the the book is sold this is going to fetch a much larger price than say you know, a bunch of characters that you don't know very well standing around the body of them. And you can do 10 different variant covers yeah. that the comic com- the, the comic store is going to have to, you know, order 100 issues to get the one variant that they're going to then jack up to 100 bucks because they know somebody's going to buy it. 
but this so. this cover just evokes you know strong emotions it it is shocking and uh beautiful at the same time so i mean it's why i picked it but uh definitely you can see that it comes from an era where this kind of thing was almost commonplace and burns yeah, we ain't in kansas anymore yeah, that's, for sure. <laughs> that's for sure well tim what you got for us well i'll well i did my number five was the oh. the uh ff267 that we'd already kind of covered from kirk so i can oh, okay. either do an alternate or well, we can just I, go into pick into you know our, our honorable mentions and I, I mean i've got a number of, of things but i mean we can sit there and just kind of list them out rather than then go over each one of them you yeah. know just make we sure everybody pretty, understands which quick. ones we're talking about uh who wants to go first with their honorable mentions well i've got one that uh that i want to call up i I don't know if you guys can see it. I was struggling trying to spread these around, but I totally ignored the Avengers uh, covers. I feel like I've overlooked so much of Burns' uh, career because I'm going to pick another Alpha Flight here. This is my third um, Alpha Flight 26, which is the next to the penultimate issue, I believe, in here or uh, right. It's the last arc with the return of Guardian. Uh, oh, yeah. It's got, I don't know if you can see it, I've got it up on my screen, yeah. but it shows a scene in the Edmonton Mall or wherever they're at with Gamma Flight standing around cocky over the bodies or the, the, you know, the bodies of the Alpha Flight. And, you know, the battle's over. And you see on the left-hand side only the profile or the edge of Guardian, his hat or his glove. Whoops, it just disappeared. But, his, you know, only of his hip and his hand, he's barely on the cover. Yeah, that's, a, that's a, a great cover. And, of course, Wild Child just looks really, really menacing. Um, and that's, is that supposed to be Heather there next to Puck? I think it must be. Yeah. Yeah. But not in her Guardian costume, so. Right. Well, she didn't wear a Guardian costume at this point. She was she? Vindicator, wasn't she? Well, I mean, she wasn't wearing that at, at this point. Byrne never put her in costume. Oh, is that, that okay? That all came yeah. afterwards. He didn't. Okay, it's been thirty years intended, since I read this. <laughs> yeah, but he never intended her to wear a costume, be a superhero. She could be the leader, but she wasn't even supposed to go out in the field. You know, you'd, you'd expect you know shaman of, of I think to take command uh, okay. when they when they did go out into the field. Uh, but they never, they rarely went out into the field as a group and did anything. That was the one thing about Alpha Flight, you know, is that as a team book, the team was never really all together. Well, that that shows another one of Burns, uh, similar to what the three uh, issues that uh, covers that John picked, that he does that a lot. He does a kind of uh, character standing up, what I would call like next to the lens, you know, uh, in, the, in, the, in the extreme uh, forefront so you get kind of just a glimpse of what it is, and then some, the people in the in the background are reacting to it. That's a that's a yeah. good cover. That's a very good cover, and it's yeah. interesting because it's it's really striking, but it's not a typical uh, fight scene or power you know stand and pose type thing. Uh, it's just kind of in its there it is they're they're all there it's after the battle so that that even makes it even more interesting like what just happened and what's gonna happen hmm. so we actually yeah. lost kirk here so uh he'll, he'll he's on his way back, back. 
But that was I, his. Uh, that was his one honorable alternate. Mention. Yeah. Uh, John, do you have any uh, alternates uh, or honorable mentions? So many, and I will just list three real quick. Mm -hmm. uh, the alternate cover to uh, X Men One Thirty Seven, which is classic X Men Forty Three. I really like that. That, and we talked about that during the Dark Phoenix saga. Uh, so people can go back and listen to that. The other one I like is an homage cover. It's Avengers West Coast 45, which homages the Behold the Vision cover from Avengers 57. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's almost an exact duplicate, but I just still find that that cover is probably one of the... It should be one of the top 10, if not the top 20 covers of all time. Just for some reason, it's just so striking. Um and then the, my last honorary mention is actually a concept, and I have three or two covers to kind of represent it. It's it's the the superhero team pose. <laughs> so like X Men Hidden Years One or Alpha, or Marvel Age Two, which is Alpha Flight, which I think is a better cover than Alpha Flight Number One, because Alpha Flight Number One has all of the Marvel Universe in it as long uh, as well as Alpha Flight, but it's the exact same perspective as Marvel Age 2. Uh, but uh, I just like the Marvel Age 2 cover, which spotlights the Alpha Flight team. And I just like team covers, I guess, because when I was a kid, we never had posters. So those were our <laughs> posters, right? Yeah. yeah. That's, How yeah, many of us traced like over one. or when uh, photocopies came in, you'd, you'd photocopy it and then take your coloring pencils and color them in. I did that. <laughs> That's really cool. I like that with, with Guardian pointing out to the, yeah, that's really cool. Kirk, did you make it back? Yeah, I'm back, but uh, again, my apps keep closing on me. I don't know how much of a long explanation that I rambled on for that you guys actually heard. heard but I was talking thing. to myself for like three minutes. Oh, my. <laughs> we didn't hear you that. <laughs> um, we, we lost you at Guardian's hip. Okay, because I think I think the, it glitched there, but you got the issue. Yeah. The reason why it appeals to me is this is almost the penultimate issue. Um, the next issue, which is 27, also is dramatic, but it has a word balloon on it, and the big reveal of who actually is Guardian and what it means to the group, and the fact that that's the swan song for for Byrne as he leaves the the series. That's why this has such impact for me. Uh, that's that's in a nutshell what I went on and said for two, three minutes before I finally realized nobody was commenting and you were gone <laughs> or I was gone. I, I see Kirk with the, uh, uh, you know, the scene of mommy dearest, which you talk about the wire hangers. I see Kirk that had board balloons. No, no word balloons. balloons. I'm sorry. It's just a pet peeve. No, no, me. no. I'm not, I'm not making fun of you, Kirk. I just, I think it's funny. I'm not, I'm not trying to, to, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's really funny because all of the covers that I have in my top ten, only one of them actually has a word balloon in it. Hmm. And they're just sitting there looking at that. But I, I haven't even hmm. brought that one up yet. Now, now, John, did you get a chance to go through all of them that you wanted to honorably mention? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, well, uh, Spider-Man Chapter 1, Number 2, I think is a really great creation of, of uh, where Spider-Man is in the tube trying to come to the Fantastic Four to say, hey, I need a job. I think that's just really super cool. Okay. There's always something magnified about the, the, the Chapter 1 covers to me and the artwork. It seemed like 
he he pulled in a little too close uh, on on every image that he drew, and I, I don't know I, I don't know what it is if it was an attempt to be like Ditko or or to enhance the style of it or whatever, but it, it always looked like he, he just pulled in too close on his camera. Does that make sense mm. to anyone? Mm. Yeah, it does because it is a lot closer perspective. Uh, I see that. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting though. Uh, let's see. Hang on. It, yeah. Can you see this? Yes. It's the left one you're talking about? Yes. Yes. Okay. So that's Spider-Man Chapter 1, Issue 2. Yeah. One of the two covers. Right. Because if you look okay. at Amazing Spider-Man, Issue 2, it's uh, a, a take on the same one. Yes. Uh, yes, I'm familiar. There. But, uh, and, and I'm just, you know, I'm just saying that, that all the images that he drew in Chapter 1, they all seem to be pulled in a little too close it's like he needed to to frame the camera further out as he's putting his images together but that's just you know a personal thing on my part i could be very wrong on the aesthetic yeah i, I like it i think it, i think it works yes and i do like the word balloon with the fantastic four in their logo yes yes uh, it's you know though though we know that that we don't necessarily like the word balloons in there no, I think it works in this instance, and it works because it appeals to a particular age, a particular target audience. Yeah, yeah and you're recreating, kind of recreating an uh, iconic cover anyway. So, mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. Brian, you uh, you want to give us your yeah, I'll uh, alternate. Yeah, I've got a couple here that I definitely wanted to bring up. Um, Avengers 188, which is uh, right close to the end of his uh, second short run on the Avengers um, he did a 10 issue run from 181 to 191 and this one had like the the elements of doom they were called um, and it's just it, it's uh, I believe Terry Austin inked this cover with Byrne and it's just it's got what 12 different characters on the cover all of them are very distinct all of them are in action and you, you just catch so much from this, from the color, from the uh, angles, from the use of the, of the um, what do you call it, Zipatone on that first one there was that Vanadium. And I mean, it's just a great action cover, you know, to, to pull you into the book. You know this is going to be a huge Donnybrook. You even got your bit of Kirby Crackle around there with uh, the Scarlet Witch. It's just a beautiful, beautiful action-laced cover. I agree. I agree. You're right. Uh, yeah. Good. The, yeah. Um, next would be uh, Fantastic Four 263. And this one actually has a word balloon in it. This is uh, just a single shot of the thing in some sort of fiery maelstrom uh, yelling for Johnny. And it's uh, basically the issue where Johnny was in a car race and apparently had crashed in a fiery explosion. And uh, they fooled everyone into thinking he was killed. Uh, Walt Disney did. Or the dead Walt Disney, <laughs> and uh, so it's uh, you know just a, a, a wonderful cover showing the thing, and with the the fire and the crackle and everything all around it, it's just uh, evocative of an inferno. You can feel the heat coming off that cover there, and the third one that I'll put as one of my uh, yeah that and that's all burn. That's all John Byrne pencil and inks there. The third one that I'll do is also all burn, and that is uh, Incredible Hulk 359. 
and this was during the uh, Joe Fixit era, and uh, it's one of those. This it, incident doesn't really appear in the books so much as it shows up here, but you've just got a wonderful image there of the Thing, Wolverine, and the Abomination uh, all tackling Joe Fixit. And I think it was a, a comic book convention or something that was going on. There were some cosplayers or, or something, if I remember the issue well. It's, but it's not burn art on the inside, obviously. It's Jeff Purvey's, uh, who's got a very different look for the Hulk and for his art. Nobody is pretty in his book, uh, except Marlon. But, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it's just a, a, an amazing cover. Of course, the thing is I like to see John Byrne draw him. Uh, kind of in almost that triangle format. Um, the Abomination, which I always thought, you know, Byrne could make him look really good. Dale Cowling can make him look really good, and everybody else makes him look weird. Maybe Walt Simonson could probably do a good version of the Abomination, but not. I think Simons could do it. Yeah. And then you course, ever read? You ever read the original appearance of the Abomination in uh, Tales to Astonish? No. It's no. like a three-issue Hulk. Um, That's a great. Gil, Gil Kane. I've got that now. Yeah. Well, Gil yeah. King would definitely be one of, one of the one of, one of the right artists to tackle him. I mean, it's, you know, obviously he's got anatomy down, but it's that the ribbing and the uh, other effects on his skin, of course, with the ears and such. I'll have to go back and look at that. Um, it's a good story. Would, I've got it in a pocketbook and I've read it dozens of times. The one guy I would not want to see drawing the abomination is Eric Larson, because he'd just like I have spines sticking out of his skin every <laughs> every six ways to Sunday. But those are my uh, my runners up. Cool. Yeah. All right. I will. Uh, I had more than three, but I will limit mine to three. Uh, let me see which ones I'm going to pick here. Um, I thought of. Yeah. I thought of another yeah. one. Oh, of course. Okay. Go ahead, Kurt. I'm making. Oh. I'm looking at my notes. So go ahead, Dom. While I'm making notes. I'm trying to call it up here, even as I speak. But your uh, description of the Captain America cover that had, uh, I can't type and write at the same time, <laughs> but it's, uh, so so bear with me here. It's You had the, the cover with uh, uh, Mr. Hyde in the back. Oh, I can't call this up, but I can describe it. I don't have the issue right in front of me. It's Captain America with uh, Dragon Man on oh, the cover, yeah. chowing down on his shield. So it's real, real close to the one with Mr. Hyde, like one before, one behind. Um, that was one of my first Captain America covers. That, or, yeah, thank you. 248. Uh, just spectacular. Um, just you get a real feel of um, the uncontrollable monster that he's totally dominating Cap, that Cap's in big trouble. Um, and I, I, you know, I remember where I was when I bought this one. I think I was on a camping trip, and I read it cover to cover on a sleepy Sunday morning, while uh, the person I was camping with was sleeping in. And I suddenly realized, I love this artwork. Who is the artist? John Byrne? Who's this John Byrne? I've got to start following. So that's my uh, honorable mention. Yeah, that one makes me want to go and get a box of vanilla wafers. Just a cover because it looks, <laughs> looks like he's trying yeah. to bite into it like a like a wafer. <laughs> but I remember that and even in the story, it tried to bite Cap's shield and it ended up what throwing it away or whatever. 
and it goes straight up and then it comes straight down again. I, I can't recall how that Yeah, he, he, he tried to bite it and, and he couldn't do anything with it, so he threw it straight up in the air and it almost hit a plane. Yep. And uh, it, when it came down, it hit some bricks and distracted Cap just enough for the for him to grab him. And he was basically starting to squeeze Cap to kill him. And then that was the cliffhanger of the issue. Did you guys read any of the the newest FF where they've taken this is last year maybe up to last yeah. year maybe where they've taken Dragon Man and he's now a teacher intelligent at, he's intelligent he's a teacher at he wears a little pair of bifocals <laughs> future uh, yeah the future foundation or future something. foundation he teaches the all the kids uh, it's Valeria and Franklin and the wizard's kid. The wizard's kid and somebody, uh, a mole man kid or one Mol- of the moloids or something. Um, yeah. So I, I haven't I, read it, but I, I, I listen to a podcast that covers it, and it doesn't sound good. I bought it because of the inclusion of an intelligent um, dragon man. I thought, gee, that's, you know, where, how did this happen? But I can't recall enough of it. It didn't stick with me because... Re- they did something like, okay, kids, never touch this switch. This is the emergency escape <laughs> switch. Never touch this. And then the very next issue, when Doom attacks or when something goes wrong, Valeria pulls a switch and transports the top five uh, stories of uh, the Baxter building into the Himalayas or into Latveria. I mean, you know, it's like, wait a minute. The very next issue, you're going you're gonna to use the gun that you pointed out that is sitting on the shelf? Right. Just Schrodinger's, uh, or is it uh, Chekhov's uh, button? Um, yes, it, yep. yes, exactly. I thought it was well. Little, it, it became a kind of a Wesley Crusher deal where the kids were constantly saving the main team. Valeria was always Valeria and Franklin were saving uh, the main Fantastic Four. I'm like, no, that, that doesn't work that way. But all right, I've got my alternates and I've got it down to three. So they are no particular order. Space, 1999, number six. That's the one with Koenigs in space, right? Yep. Yeah. And I, I picked this because, one, it's, it's it's very cinematic. It looks like something you would see on TV or on, on, a, on a film because uh, you see he's lost his helmet and he, he's in an eagle that looks like it's disintegrating. Uh, and it's got a nice painter, painterly feel to it, like all the, uh, the Space 19, all those Charlton comics did. And I kind of, you know, we've already covered one of his books, but I applaud him for being able to kind of capture the, the, the likenesses of the characters that this uh, that was based on. So I thought uh, that was a, a nice cover from his early days. Uh, my next is uh, X-Men 127, which is uh, yeah. Proteus. That was one that I liked as well. Because I love the way he did Proteus, and this has got a real trippy, weird kind of energy, you know, whatever the power that Proteus had, this reality-altering thing that he had um, coming in. Uh, it was a toss-up between this one and uh, X-Men 116, where Colossus is tied to the stake and he's on fire. Mm-hmm. I love that because of the... And that may be more the coloring than anything else, because you get a really see it, feel that like around his feet cloths it's like their classes is starting to heat up and the metal is turning white hot uh i don't know how well that would look in black and white but uh, that was a great one uh, so which one did you say 127 or 129 with the proteus 
127. Thank you. Or he's a, he's attacking uh, Storm. Oro. Yeah. Oro, yeah. It's it's a pinkish red cover. Exactly, and he's kind yep. of a vague kind of energy kind of uh, yeah. You got it right there in your screen. Um, and my last one. And I, yeah, I, had I this... really like this cover too. It's amazing. It's a great one, and it really highlights Storm really well there as well. Yeah. Uh, my last one is, and it was a toss up between this one too, but it's Superman 22. The Grim Reaper? Yep. Where wow. he is exposing them to the uh, one, and that's, again, that's another gut punch of a, a story. I mean, yeah, but yeah. Uh, there's nothing really special about the cover, but it's just, it's all green. And, you know, you supposedly don't know who it is, but I think you kind of know who it is. Uh, but it's just a very, because it is all in shades of green. And it's very dark, um, and it, a lot of it is the story. You know, I love this three-issue story. I think we kind of covered it. In, I think it's one of my top stories by him. We did our top five for that run. Um, yeah. It was tossed between this and Superman one, with him and Metallo. And I really loved that issue too. But I think I picked this one because more of the importance of it. You know, I had this green cover twenty-two for a long time. And as many times as I looked at it, of course, I'd turn the cover because I went into it. I, at the time, let me back up a step. I was reading comics onto an audio cassette for a blind fan in Minneapolis uh, and then mailing them off to him. So it was part what he was interested in, part what I was reading. And I was following Burns' Superman. So I got to read this and dramatize it oh, wow. in an audio book format that... I would send to him so that he would be able to enjoy it. Literally a blind comic book fan. So as many times as I glance at this cover, and it, it won't come up on my computer at the moment, but I know which one it is, I never saw the Superman logo underneath the um, the robe. It was, yeah, my system just crashed. Uh, it wasn't there. I mean, it didn't register for me. That's who it was. You don't still have that recording, do you, Kurt? I'd love to hear that. Oh, yeah, no, 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 no. I sent all the cassettes. <laughs> um, I mean, I did this for a couple of years. They were all audio cassettes, which I would send to him once a week. And I'm sure he recycled them. He labeled them. He said he was keeping them. Um, you know, it, absolutely, it's a copyright infringement that I was doing. But it was a labor of love. Um, and, and I would read them in voices and, and describe the action but it was just between him and me. You know, it, it was born of my passion for Burn and the storytelling and sharing it with somebody else who had literally, he put a classified ad in CBG looking for somebody to read books for him. And I responded when I moved from Detroit to Salt Lake City and then started, you know, I was there before my wife joined me and I just got married. So I was batching it. And I set up my recorder and my microphone, and I would just uh, amuse myself by reading issues on a regular basis. And we went through you know, any number of things, not burn-related, but for a couple of years I did it until finally I fell out of interest and, and we kind of uh, lost touch. Hmm. Interesting. Well, that's, a, that's kind of a very cool thing to do. Girls. That is a cool thing to yeah. do. Yeah. I bet you if, if that, that listen, guy if up, that... he's probably got all those still saved. Or I don't know. Does, there were a lot of them. There were a lot of them. <laughs> oh, man. That's awesome. Well, I, I do. have we covered pretty much all the ones we wanted to cover? 
I mean, I, know I think so. A couple others that you know are stuck in my head: Web of Spider-Man number three, uh, X-Men: Hidden Years number seventeen. That's the one with the Beast and and um, Craven the Hunter, which I always thought was really cool. But the um, Web of Spider-Man was where he's fighting the Vulture over the city, over one of those um, pictured cityscapes, and there's three other sets of Vulture wings around him. Which, uh, yeah, you know, when they did put out Web of Spider-Man, they always wanted to. Uh, like improve the sales, and so a lot of the early issues had burned art on the cover, which they didn't have on the inside. Um, but uh, the, the covers were always striking, and that was one of my favorites. Cool. But uh, I, yeah, I think yeah, the cover, yeah. Yep. Well, uh, well, in, in guess in that stead, we'll ask you guys, what are your favorites? Did we miss something that you guys think that we should have covered? Or do you just love the ones that we that we mentioned here because you know we're so brilliant? Because uh, we're the experts. <laughs> we yeah. will put a link for this out on uh, uh, you know uh, probably we'll put all these in our third degree burn Facebook group, uh, but we'll put links to that so that you can take a look at them. And we would ask that uh, you write us and let us know what you feel. Now that being said, we actually have email. Did you notice that, Tim? I have I hadn't checked the email box. Um, yeah, we got an email. Uh, I'll admit from, I'm, I'm a little lazy about that. I kind of leave that up to you sometimes. <laughs> we, we yeah we got an email from the friend of the show Jack Bond, um, and Jack Bond uh, he was talking about our Namor coverage, and he says here I remember Namor was the first words I'd heard against the reunification of Germany, and I wondered how seriously to take it. The editorial cartoon was in the Daily Bugle, essentially putting those words in the mouth of J. Jonah Jameson. Namor partially agrees, but he's an old warrior, and although calmer since issue one, still belligerent fellow. On the other hand, if it was to be war, was Byrne experimenting on how to tell superhero tales in world-shattering conflict in the midst of world-shattering conflict? We had a warning with The Hunt for Red October as a novel. It was present-day or near-future thriller. By the time the movie was made, it was history and secret history at that, as an opening crawl points out that both sides deny it ever happened. Well, Germany has been reunited for longer than the interval between World War I and World War II, coming up on the duration of the World War period. I guess we don't have to worry about them. Yeah, I think you're right. We don't have to worry about them. It's others that we have to worry about now. <laughs> but <laughs> that being said, that's not as pretty. I appreciate the, the email, Jack. I would say that uh, if you want to get another side of the Red October storyline, uh, watch the movie K-19 Widowmaker with Harrison Ford. Um, that's, it talks about the Widowmaker, uh, the K-19 uh, event that happened in this early, well, in the mid-60s with the very first nuclear sub. And it's supposed to be based on the same story that the hunt for Red October was taken from. Interesting. I've seen both. Cool. Uh, that uh, being said, I, <clears throat> we covered everything, or did you have something else you wanted to add? Well, I we sure brought this up at this at the top of the show. Uh, the reason why we're doing a top five was not because we're lazy, but because this is our fifth year anniversary of oh boring people with third degree burn. We have not we did forgot to bring that up that we have been um, you know wasting people's times for five years now. So <laughs> uh, and. Well, countless hours of drivel coming from us, so uh, I thought that'd be worth a mention because I know you said it's what June 26th. 
Is that right? Uh, yeah, that <clears throat> sounds right. Yeah. So yeah. It's this week. Well, it's, it's this month. We're going to, well, it's, you know, and, and, you know, I'll peel back to curtain. We're recording this on Father's Day. So happy Father's Day to all everybody out there listening. Um, but yeah, five years, and let's hope for, uh, we, we seem to be picking up steam. We've been producing more shows lately than we have when we just we were doing it. And I want to put the credit that at John and <clears throat> John and Kurt. They they and and you Brian, you've been uh, really been uh, pushing us along to do these every uh, every Sunday and and get them out so that uh, well so people have something to listen to while they're trapped at home. So yeah, this is uh, I'll tell you, you know this doing this show has been great for me in a lot of ways it's given me uh an opportunity not only to to talk about the things that i love especially in the work of john byrne but also to make new friends that uh, i never knew i would have had i've got such a, a a wide network of friends now people that i keep in touch with that are, live all across the country and also it you know gave me the opportunity to, to develop a, a friendship and a real brotherhood with tim here and Tim, I just got to thank you for that because, uh, you know, these last five years have been really, really cool. And I can honestly say I count you as one of the best friends I have in life. Oh, wow. And thank if you. it hadn't been for Two True Freaks uh, and this show, I, I don't know that, uh, you know, I don't know. But, uh, yeah, I really appreciate you, you know, having you in my life and having this show in my life because it's uh, a great outlet. Thank you. Yeah, it is. And I, I again, I want to thank, you know, uh, I want to thank Dave because, you know, Dave can't be with us as often, but he's sorely missed. And John uh, and Kirk certainly have been coming on and uh, adding a new voice. And that's always uh, when you have to, you know, it's it's infinite diversity and infinite combinations. So there's always the more you get, the more ideas you get, the more people bounce off each other, the more stimulating the conversation is. So I want to thank both of you guys for, you know, you know, agreeing to come on and, uh, you know, spend some time with us. It's been a lot of fun, and congratulations on five years. I mean, and you haven't wasted my time. You've made my commutes much more enjoyable. Oh, that's, that's podcasts are made for commutes, I think. Podcasts. Well, do you anything? Yeah, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I'll just say, if we have anything else, uh, we can kind of wrap this up. Yeah. Um, anybody have any thoughts on what we're going to cover in our next episode? Now, Scott and I will be recording with Scott Gardner, uh, the godfather of this show, uh, later on this week. And we'll be covering an issue of Wheelie and the Chopper Bunch. So that should be a lot of fun. I actually uh, was able to watch some of the cartoons so uh, uh, to be able to compare. And I found some interesting notes from Byrne himself. Cool. Cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, as for our next actual show, I don't know. Uh, we haven't really talked about it, but I guess it's something we can kind of decide off air, uh, and it'll be a surprise for everybody. Um, but I, that's all I've got. That's all I've got. Guys, you have anything you want to say before we go? Not Happy Father's reading. Day. Oh. Yep. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you both. Uh, Brian, you want, you want to take us out? All righty. Well... That's been another brand new episode of Third Degree Burn. And for Third Degree Burn, I'm Brian Hughes. We've also got Tim Elliott, John Hyde, and Kurt Greenfield. Thank you for listening and look for us again in just a few days. Anybody else want to say anything? No.
It's not time to make a change Just relax, take it easy You're still young, that's your fault There's so much you have to know Find a girl, settle down If you want, you can marry Look at me, I am old, but I'm happy was once like you are now and I know that it's not easy to be calm when you found something going on but take your time think a lot why think of everything you've got for you will still be here tomorrow but your dreams may not explain when I do he turns away again it's always been the same same old story from the moment I could talk I was ordered to listen now there's a way and I know that I have to go away I know I have to go your fault there's so much you have to go through find a girl settle down if you want you can marry look at me I am old but I'm happy all the times that I've cried keeping all the things I knew inside it's hard but it's hard Thanks for listening. You can find us and many other great shows at tutufreaks.com. That's T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S.com. Third Degree Burn is spelled with the number three, R-D-D-E-G-R-E-E-B-Y-R-N-E, and is part of the Tutu Freaks network of shows. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just look for Third Degree Burn 
spelled with the number three and Byrne spelled B-Y-R-N-E. Compliments, complaints, and recipes can be sent to gottagetburned at gmail.com. That's G-O-T-T-A-G-E-T-B-Y-R-N-E-D at gmail.com. Drop us a line and tell us how we're doing. If you're interested in any of the books we cover in the show, just head over to tutufreaks.com and use the Amazon link to shop. This doesn't cost any extra, but it really helps support the shows. Till next time, this has been Third Degree Burn. All right, I'll be mayor. <laughs>